Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime. Soccer training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they live in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is turning out to be a wonderful product that I am very proud of has well over 5,000 training videos, and it is a lifesaver for parents who want to help their children get extra touches at home, and for coaches who want to help their team become more technical um, with an organized and professional curriculum, uh, and be able to see that people are doing it, seeing them sending them messages, blah, blah, blah. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about what we do. Join the mailing list, and the application is free to use forever, and you get a lot of great content as well. Now, let's get on to the show, and this is going to be, hopefully, a very, very short uh, show, and it's another stream of consciousness based on something that was posted in our Facebook group. And so we're going to get to the question first, but um, I do want to remind listeners about who I'm speaking to in this particular podcast. So we're building, we're slowly, slowly building a very small uh, community of what I call as parent trainers. And you've been listening to this show, you know what a parent trainer is by now. Someone who believes in the power of deliberate practice, um, understands the benefit of deliberate practice, is a rational person and looking at this youth soccer thing saying, okay, I can see now that it's trending towards being more and more skill-based sport. I want my child to be successful in the sport at the level that they want to. So they needed to get uh, acquire these skills and they need to do a little bit extra at home. Um, I'm not going to outsource 100% of their development to someone else. Number one, that's impractical, right? Who's going to come home to your house and do a five minute Ball mastery session, and it's also prohibitively expensive. The average trainer, I'm one, could be $40, $50, $60 an hour. This is this is probably not practical. And then especially considering the amount of touches that, that your children have to get to acquire the skill, we're asking them to use their feet in the same way they use their hands. This is so so they have to do a little bit. And then secondly, even if they even if it was practical, even if you had the most flexible trainer in the world, you still want the child to understand, at least parent trainers do that their development starts with them. So you have to show some independent and initiative and and uh, some autonomy and dominion over your own development. So, so you doing it yourself has to be part of a mix. And the parent trainer understands that, hey, you know, not every eight-year-old is going to understand that now. That's fine. They haven't reached what we would call self-actualization. We're going to help them, but there's that precarious parent-child relationship there, so we don't want to do more harm than good. So, so this is the community I just described, and this is the community we're trying to just actually slowly growing. And I know that because I'm fielding emails and text messages and conversations. <laughs> you know, I'm enjoying these conversations. They make zero business sense, but I enjoy these conversations because these are the conversations, the private conversations in many cases that I wanted to have with someone. Uh, when I was uh, first starting out with my child, man, you know, I want to help my son. I lost my temper. He's crying. I'm mad. This is not sustainable, but I'm not going to give up. What do you what do you do? That that was the conversation. Those are the types of conversations I wanted to have. And I didn't have anyone to talk to about. So I had to develop my own um, 
a lot on my own and kind of like a mosaic approach, take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that and try to put it together. And what I want to do through the technology and the in the fellowship that we're building is help you guys with some of these uh, struggles and then learn from you as well. And that's another reason why they, why the community, building the community is so important because I learn from you just as much as you uh, hopefully learn something from me. So why am I saying all that? Because this particular podcast is only going to be it's only going to resonate with our, it could resonate with others, but it's definitely going to resonate with our parent trainers who are in the trenches right now. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to forward it to you guys so we can all have a chuckle about it as well. Someone in the Facebook group, the Anytime Soccer Training Facebook group posted, a, posted the following question. How do you motivate your children? And in typical fashion, I wrote a response that's so nuanced and so weird that I know it doesn't resonate with most people. And I thought, you know what? Let me hop on the airwaves, do a quick podcast um, and flush this thing out. And then what I want to do is invite folks to uh, come on and talk about the various components, especially experts to talk about the various components. So, again, the question is, how do you motivate your children? Now, the, you know, the subject of motivation is a well-documented um, area because it's actually extremely important. So their PhDs and their uh, professionals who have compiled a lot of research, a lot of books on motivation. As a matter of fact, I actually want to start doing my own self-learning on motivation because I want to, number one, learn how to better motivate myself and also how to help motivate those around me, including my sons. But this, just forget all that, this motivation, these motivation techniques I'm going to talk about now, our framework, these are parent trainer motivated. This is in the ground, and I don't know, maybe it's based on a little bit of theory, and I don't know the name of the theory yet, and you guys can chime in, but this is just based on experience. So take it for with a grain of salt. So the first thing we got to do is understand the question. The question is, how do you motivate your children, right? And what I think they're saying is, how do you motivate your children? to consistently uh, engage in a delayed gratification activity because I don't have to motivate my kids to stay on this, uh, play video games all day. I don't need to motivate them to stay on the Chromebook all day. So they must be talking about how do you motivate them to do something that they don't particularly want to do. And I'm using this term specifically delayed gratification because, uh, you know, I don't want to motivate them to, to go run into a car. Right. I want So I don't, I don't, so I'm using delayed gratification very specific. Now, there that question can mean some other things as well, and I get that. But the but the biggest struggle the parent trainer had, one of the biggest struggles the parent trainer has is how do I motivate my child to engage in a delayed gratification activity? And why in the world would I even want them to engage in a delayed gratification activity as it relates to sports, which is something that's supposed to be instantly gratifying. Fine, fine. It's supposed to be what our coaches love to say, fun. Well, I, I explained this in another podcast that, you know, fun has a enjoyment component. That's the instant gratification activity uh, component of fun. But grill, delayed gratification activities all uh, produce a higher return, but a slightly more complex return, right? And what I mean by that is delayed gratification activities produce enjoyment in the long run, right? Your ability to compete hopefully is enjoyable for you in the long run, but it also produces a degree of fulfillment that you can only receive having gone through um, the delayed gratification activity, right? If you are a painter 
and you don't spend time actually practicing how to paint and working on that canvas and painting that uh, picture, then if someone just handed you a finished picture, you would not experience the same level of fulfillment you would have uh, received had you painted that picture or that canvas yourself. We all have had the experience of enjoying a meal that we prepared with our own hands in a different and more lasting way than we prepare, than we enjoy a meal that someone has cooked for us or a restaurant uh, situation, right? It's something wonderful about cooking, learning, getting the recipe, going to the farm, going to the farm and picking the fresh vegetables or going to the grocery store, getting the shopping list and then preparing it and learning how to prepare it, then preparing it and then eating it and watching someone else uh, enjoy the food you made. That's a that's a delayed gratification. Those are delayed gratification activities that increase your enjoyment of that meal. And that's really what we're trying to capture in youth soccer. So we have the instant gratification or enjoyment piece of it. Then we have a long-term uh, enjoyment, you know, over the long haul, are you a lifelong um, a soccer player or, you know, do you enjoy the sport well into your 50s and 60s because you know how to play? We have the fulfillment part of it where you you practice and then you, you the the goals that you score, you you have a greater appreciation for them. And then we have um, the sense of accomplishment, accomplishment. You you won, right? You won the game or you did something or the coach gave you an accolade and all that is tied in, to some degree to that delayed gratification activity. So, 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 so the question becomes, well, how do we help our child weather through this storm, that delayed gratification activity to unleash that door of those other virtues that we know are waiting for them because we've experienced them as adults and we know are waiting for them, but they don't know that they're there, right? How do we, how do we navigate that? Well, I said, you know, all right, well, actually, let me take a step. This is, so when we get to this point, you know, at least when I was doing my research, the advice would, there was a lot of different advice, but some of the advice might be, oh, you got to make it fun or you have to, or you have to create some way of transforming this delayed gratification activity into something that they're going to enjoy. And I, that kind of didn't resonate with me for a lot of reasons. Number one, it didn't deal with the practical matter, right? Like you can't make something that someone has to do consistently for years and years and years. You can't make it fun in that way. The brain doesn't work that way. Even anytime soccer training has hundreds and hundreds of fun games, right? But even if you just, if you, if I have my sons playing one V one against each other every day or racing each other every day or chasing each other every day and not every day, but, you know, consistently for years and they enjoy those games and in the, in isolation and they enjoy doing those with their friends but after a while even that's going to wear off because they're going to be like this is exhausting right so a lot of times any even when something is technically fun it, if you have to do it a lot it becomes um more and more of a drudge so so that didn't resonate me resonate with me trying to change something that's delayed gratification into something that's instant gratification you don't have enough uh, feathers in your cap to do that and then also what didn't resonate resonate with me it's just oh just it should just be fun because we know uh you know <laughs> the our ancient philosophers our ancient 
um, scholars, uh, our grandparents, and anybody else who's who's been on this earth has already kind of laid out for us that in order to get something that you want, you more than likely you have to do a few things you don't like doing, right? You know, they, you, you, hard work uh, pays off. They're saying this is so common that they're saying so. So that doesn't change just because it's soccer, right? If you want to be a good player, you have to do a few things. So just making it fun never really resonated me, with me in a, in a competitive sense, because I knew that did not match the reality that I existed in and the reality that everybody else I knew existed in. Everybody else I knew said that, well, you got to take a little bit of things you enjoy, a little bit of things you don't enjoy, kind of put it together. And through that process, hopefully you'll come out a better sporting person or more educated or whatever it is you're trying to do. So that kind of stuff didn't resonate, resonate with me. And that forced me to come up on my own kind of framework. And I'm going to jump right to it now. So the first thing I, I saw very early on, and it wasn't so linear, so I don't want to give you the impression that my son was, you know, eight years old, and I just kind of linearly thought about it. It wasn't, no, it didn't. I'm, I'm giving it to you now in a couple of minutes, but this is a lot of years and years of trial and error, error and reading and talking and discussing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm giving you the very condensed version. So the first thing I saw straight up, if you want to motivate someone to grow, they got to have a growth mindset. So let me say this again. Let me say it another way. You cannot motivate a person to grow who doesn't already have a growth mindset. That is a growth mindset is an essential ingredient that's required to help a person grow long term. Got to have a growth mindset. It gets a little complicated with kids or anyone you have power over because in the short term, um, you can make them do things, right? So in my six-year-old, hey, I need you, I need you to kick the ball 10 times with your right foot. No, he does not have a growth mindset. And I'm just asking him to do something. And I talked about this in the is I talked about this in the podcast is use soccer training like a job. At that point, he kind of views it as a chore. But while we're doing that, we're, as he's maturing, especially now with my older one, I'm slowly helping him develop a growth mindset. You're here. You're trying to go here. Your situation is not static. It, you know, you can get to here by doing these things. I have done these things. This is how it's worked. Your mom has done these things. This is how it works. Here are leaders who have done these things. This is how it works. I mean, this is how it has worked. Growth mindset. And I'm not going to get into the how today because that's actually something that I want to talk to experts about, about what how they help their children develop a growth mindset. And then I have my own views as well. But the first thing I saw very early on that you cannot, I was not going to be able to motivate my children if they did not want to be motivated. And the only way they were going to want to be motivated was if I stepped in and helped them develop a growth mindset. So that would be my first recommendation, right? And I ain't got nothing to do with soccer. That just makes what we're trying to do a lot easier. And the second thing um, I knew very early on is I needed to have the right strategy. And that strategy needed to, and, I, and this is a point I'm going to get to, had to produce 
good results, and it had to be a strategy that we could execute that we could execute without a lot of friction, which the results and without the friction are part of that strategy. So our strategy was pretty straightforward. And we, I'm going to do other podcasts where I go deeper into it. But again, I'm talking to my parent trainer friends. Our strategy was pretty simple. All right. I looked at where most private trainers spent the majority of their time training kids and what skills they worked on. And I noticed, and I'm going to be generous when I say this, they were spending what appeared to be 90 to 95% of the time on areas that a child would only utilize 10 to 5% of the time or 5 to 10% of the time in a game. And I'm being generous. It's really around the 1%. But, you know, for the purposes of this, I saw that trainers and even other parents, for that matter, who work with their kids, I saw immediately that, wow, wait a minute. If I were to look at the at a soccer field and I were divided divided up into percentages, they were spending an, a disproportionate time on the things that you on the skills that you utilize a disproportionate amount of the time in games and in training. And then the next thing I saw was, and they were working on these skills independent of a causation. So that's a fancy way of saying they're working on, you know, finishing in the final third in the top goal in the top, top uh, part of the goal. When I knew that my eight-year-old was going to be playing a keeper that was two feet tall or three feet tall, whatever they, whatever that, and that, and that skill was not needed, but what was needed for them to even be in that position was the ability on the ball. Right. And, and everybody says the same stuff, but I saw immediately, I was like, wow, there's a lot of pressure on coaches, trainers, and parents for that matter to do things that provide that the kids really enjoy. So, and I get that, but the things that really make them really, really good happen, happen in that other 90% of the field, the, the middle of the field, the, the wide areas leading into that uh, final third area. And so because I know that other people are just not going to work with your kid, my kids on that kind of stuff, because and we talked about this before. If they do, then when the, when the parent asks the kid, did you enjoy the training session? The first thing the kids gonna say, no, nah, I, I didn't like Coach Crawford's because his is boring. I liked Coach so and so because we're working on finishing and stuff. I, I saw that, so I knew I needed to do some of these more delayed gratification activities as a parent. That was the strategy, and then the second part of that strategy was, and I needed to get a maximum amount of touches in the shortest amount of time, right? And that's part of how, so the first thing before we created any time soccer training was just the, the algorithm of practice this move and make sure you got that one. Now we add the next one. Okay. Now you practice both of them. And then we add the next one. You practice those and we add that technical variation. And we just now put that into the technology. So I said a lot there and I didn't want to ramble too much, but I saw from a strategic perspective that people were spending the majority of pre majority of time working on things that you use the least. And they were working on the things that were a result of the things you needed to work on, not the driving force. So in other words, you don't finish in order to control the ball in the middle of the field. Your ability to control the ball in the middle of the field in tight spaces around tight around defenders gives you more, will lead to more opportunities to finish. And so I saw, okay, my strategy was to focus on what matters and then maximize 
the amount of touches I could get uh, while focusing on what matters. And why is that? Because my sons don't want to be out there with me. I don't want to be out there with them. We, they're going to hear this and they're going to laugh. So if we're going to be out there, we got to get a lot done in a short amount of time. I need to make 20 minutes feel, uh, I need to get more done in 20 minutes than the average person can get done in three hours because I don't want my sons to be out there with me for three hours doing technical work. I want them to be out there three hours playing with their buddies. All right. So that part of the strategy, and I, I ramble, but let me just summarize again, focus on what matters and get a lot of touches in a short amount of time, right? That really motivated them um, because people could, it kind of works together. So it doesn't work so neatly, but the reason it also motivated them is because they could see the results. So the results are very important. So it was a feedback loop. Even my nine-year-old, after his first season, he came back and he's like, Dad, I don't know what the heck you guys are, what you doing with this, but I can tell it's working. My older son is the same way. He's like, it really works, right? So you got to have positive results in, it, uh, in order to feed, to be a feedback loop into the strategy that we're constantly tweaking. And then, um, but I also knew in order to motivate my children long-term, I had to give them a sense of autonomy. So in order to give them a sense of autonomy, that's where I lean on the technology to say, all right, um, introduce one move per video, right? And you can do it however you want, but introduce one move so they understand what to do. And then we layer that stuff on and then we layer the technical variation onto that. But it's based on a, if you will, like a, 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 a um not one move, but a spine of moves. And then we're just layering on a technical variation. I think I talked about this in another podcast. So if you're working on V-pool, then you might do V-pools in the ball mastery. Then you're going to do V-pools in ball static, then V-pools in ball mastery, but you're moving. Then you're going to do V-pools in one cone, two cone, three and four cone, ball mastery. Then you're going to do V-pools in... um um, the 1v1 moves, you're going to do V-pools with passing, you're going to do V-pools with line cone dribbling, dribbling in space, speed dribbling, you're going to do V-pools when you're doing a pose, 1v1, all that stuff. So they were practicing that move, getting a lot of technical variation, but in a way that didn't require me to have to be so hands-on. So even though I'm extremely hands-on in terms of making sure they're consistent, I, I'm actually allowing them to self-learn while we're out there. And, you know, I'll give them tips in here and there. And, and my younger one, I have to stay on him a little bit because he's just, he's a kid. But in general, you know, my older one, he's 12. We finish and we can do an hour and a half training session. And I say like two or three sentences to him. And this is, this was part of the autonomy that I needed. I wanted him to have because no one likes to be micromanaged. And I knew that as part of the self-actualization, one day, <laughs> I hope, my dream would be for him to say, Dad, I don't need you. You know, I'm going to go out there with Matthew and my buddies, and we're going to knock this stuff out. And I know some parents are saying, um, oh, yeah, my child already does it. Okay. I see what a lot of these my child already does it do. do. But if you walk a shoot day in, in training session with them and then, come back and tell me if they do this, then I'll be impressed because a lot of times we have to make sure we're talking about the same thing. I'm talking about a marathon. A lot of times people are talking about 5Ks and I could be talking about 5K and someone else is talking about a marathon, but I want to make sure we calibrate. My sons, uh, you know, they'll go out there and, and knock themselves out for a few minutes, 
But when you start getting into the amount of touches and the amount of technical variation and the different things we're doing, getting out of your comfort zone and doing it that consistently for that long period of time, this is have has been my experience, not something that most children will do on their own without some adult supervision, but not so heavy handed that it um, ruins the experience for them. All right. So moving right along. And the final thing is in the military, we used to call it motivate me is leading by example. I mean, you got to be willing to get your hands dirty. No judgment. You can handle it, handle your situation however you want. But even back in the day, the few times I did hire trainers to help my um, children, I was watching like a hawk, not to put any particular stress. I was far away, but I wanted to learn what is it that they're doing and whatever it is that they're doing, how can I help them do that at home so that when they get back there, um, they can do it even better. And I would ask the chat trainer back then, you know, what is it that you guys work on and what is it that you would like me to do with him or want him to do at home so that when we come back to you, you know, he he's he's ready. So again, no judgment, but if you're gonna, if you want to motivate your child, you got to do stuff with them and you have to show a keen interest in whatever it is, whatever it is that you're saying is so important. And so, you know, a lot of times parents, I train kids all the time, they'll drop their kid off and go to the mall. And that's fine. That's there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, if if that's the interest you show, then that's kind of what they're going to, that's the feedback loop they're going to get. Now, there's nothing wrong with multi multitasking. I'm not, again, I'm not passing any judgment on people. There are times, a lot of times, as a matter of fact, I don't even go to my son's half, most of my son's practices anymore because I'm training kids and I'm doing other stuff. So I'm not, not passing any judgment. But what I am saying is your body language your questions, your interests, your feedback, your motivates them. And then what else motivates them is you doing and getting active and showing them that you are in this thing with them as well. Maybe not soccer related, but maybe you're exercising and you're letting them know about that. Maybe you're, um, you know, doing a course and you let them know about that. Whatever it is that you got to do to show them that this is not some something I always joke with my son. This is not something you just make up um, to, that helps motivate them. And finally, there are two more points I want to make. Another way I motivated my children was by giving them reasonable choices and not giving them false choices. So let's talk about that for a second. A reasonable choice has always been, hey, is this a sport or activity you want to invest this type of time in and practice, right? Do you want to practice and, and do other sports at this level? Are you tired of doing soccer at this level? So very early on, my son, they they still do. They play a multiple multitude of sports. They play a lot of different sports, even though that's weaning down as my older one gets older, but they play different sports. But I explained to them, you got to practice something. And I've chosen soccer for you, but we recalibrate every year. Maybe you want to double down on basketball and do that, or maybe you want to do music, or maybe you want to look at something else. You have to practice something, but um, and we're choosing soccer, but you let me know if you want to change it up. And the next thing is you don't have to practice at this level, right? That's another thing too. So yes, I'm pushing you a little hard. I'm, I'm pretending again, I'm talking to my son. 
in terms of the level of consistency, but we don't have to practice at this level. But we know, again, talking, going back to the results, we know the results that you're receiving by this level of consistency, but we can work on that. We can work on when you practice. Again, we talked about we can work on and we can negotiate how um, how much you practice and and what you do. That All that kind of stuff is negotiable. Those are choices, right? I give a lot of choices on which team do you want to play on and what activities do you want to um, participate in as it relates to soccer, right? They, they, they choose this. And not only do they choose, not only do they um, tell me verbally what they do and don't want to do as a parent, I'm also looking at their nonverbal cues and I'm also looking and listening to what they're not saying. All right. But what I don't do is give them a bunch of false choices. And I hear parents, um, give a lot of false choices. And again, I cringe on that because if the choice is um, a false choice would be the way I define a false choice is you get the reward without having to do the work. Well, this is a very logical thing. The person is going to choose to get the reward and not have to do the work. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's not uncommon for me to talk to parents who are in their child is in say some competitive top or so-called top uh, soccer program and their message to me is yeah but I can't get them to train at home by themselves they, they just won't do that well that's a false choice right because if you're able to if you're if you got a parent who's willing to take you halfway across the country four or five days a week and you get to play with your friends and be with the coach and you only top alpha pick the alphabet team and alphabet league and you don't have to do anything at home that's a false choice no one's going to choose to do anything at home if they haven't been conditioned to say this is kind of like part of the deal and again there's no judgment there but i'm just saying if i give my if i if i gave my eight-year-old that choice they're always going to say yeah dad sign me up for the futsal league but no i don't want to practice juggling in the backyard if i give them that choice they're obviously going to say yeah i'll take the futsal league and the juggling and not do the juggling in the backyard my conversations with my boys basically and i'm using that word basically to say it didn't it didn't happen so linear like this was hey i will help you and i will support you and i'll do everything that i can in my power to support you in this in this endeavor but you also have to um, hold up to your end of the bargain and i'm going to work with you to help you find a level that works for you okay and the moment you don't want to do that that's fine there's no punishment but we got to recalibrate and find something that requires a less a less of a commitment so that was sort of my conversation there that's a real choice not a false choice and by giving them choices they have um, they show more ownership in their own development and as they reach more and more self-actualization I'm beginning to see my older son um, make even smarter choices about his training and what he does. Perfect example. He actually, to my frustration, sometimes doesn't doesn't really eat fast food. I don't know if it's because he's his mom, I don't know if it's because his mom brainwashed him when he was young, or he's actually um, making this choice for himself. But the bottom line is, he doesn't like to eat a lot of fast food or drink too many sugary drinks or any of that stuff, because in his mind, he he thinks, all right, that affects my that's going to affect my performance, and I don't want to do that. And I love those types of choices, but those again are choices that he's making for himself, and those choices will become more difficult. Um, as he gets older and we'll be here to support him, but ultimately it's, it's really his decision. All right, so now let me conclude by saying we talked about how I motivate them 
well, there's some other ways I can motivate them that I do motivate them. And sometimes it's not intentional and I have to be aware of that. It's just biological. They're my children, right? Children in general, I'm an adult, they're children. Fear, there's a fear of, of, of um, not pleasing your parent. There's a fear of letting your parent down. There's a fear of disappointing the adults. I know this is a motivating factor. So I have to be very careful not to abuse this and be very cognizant of this. And I'm really talking to my parent trainer saying, it's not easy. I wish I could just say, oh, this is it. No, I'm aware of this. And how do we balance that? And what we what do we do about that? And that's a conversation that we can have um, uh, with our experts as we go out go through the year. Um, another thing too is because of that and because of the long-term psychological effects that again, I'm not qualified to speak on them, speak on it too much, but just from my research, I want to be very careful about overpraising for things that are part of the process, right? So you don't want to get praised, constantly praised just for going to the gym, right? You you really, you want to be fulfilled for the longer term um, benefit and health benefits in this case to come to the gym, to go into the gym um, invoked. You don't want a situation where you have to constantly be praised all the time. So I'm pretty careful not to praise them too much about doing a, a session all the time. But I'm also careful not to scold them. At least I'm trying my best and I made so many mistakes. And if you listen to my, my kids might come on here one day and say, nope, that's not how it worked. But I, I don't want to scold them for not wanting to do something all the time because then that also um, uh, elevates or amplifies a hyper uh, sense of trying to please me. So what I typically say to my sons and what I say to my um, parent trainers personally, and this will never come off well in writing is, I try to make the training sessions and what we do with the extra practice as uneventful as possible. It's just a routine. It's just something we do. Now, in a later podcast, we're going to talk about how you can't make it completely uneventful just because of the time that it takes, because we do invest a lot of time in it. But for the most part, I just try to detach myself from it, detach any performance gains from it. And just it's just something that it's just a routine and then let them grow into what they want this to be long term now that they have the right strategy. So, again, if I had to summarize it, growth mindset, right? I need, I can't motivate somebody who doesn't want to be motivated. We got to have the right strategy, right? In this case, we're focusing on the things that matter. I recognize that my role within this big grand scheme of things is to focus on those delayed gratification activities that really matter. The external people just not going to want to do because they don't want to make you miserable or have you leave or quit. And we want to get a maximum amount of touches in a shortest amount of time. So we want to be super efficient and we want to build in technical variation and all of that stuff that I'm talking about, that strategy, a core, a core piece of it, again, is a technology. You don't need a technology, but technology has a way, uh, you know, has a static alg algorithms that once you set it, you kind of relax and let it do its thing. Then I want to give them a sense of autonomy. And again, that autonomy comes in how we execute the training sessions where I'm not micromanaging them and I'm letting them own it. Again, technology plays a role in that. 
but also in giving them choices, choices on when, choices on how long, choices on what they do, and letting them know this is not about me. You got to do something, right? You're not on the farm all day like I did, so you got to do something, but we can work on what that happens to be, but we're not going to, but nothing is not, it's just not going to be an answer, and if that makes me a bad parent, then so be it. And then finally, they have to, not finally, it's a couple more points. They have to see the results, right? So when they start seeing this stuff actually work, work, it's a feedback loop back to um, them wanting to do it more. And when my sons, even my younger son, when they see other kids and they see how difficult, uh, not how difficult, I should say, but how much more technical they are than the other children, and then how much success they have in these games and these free play environments and blah, blah, blah. They, they get a positive feedback loop that this is actually working. I am sensitive to the fact that I don't want to make um, this experience hyper-competitive for them, but it is what it is. They're human. They see the results, and, and it, it's a feedback loop. And then I have to lead by example, right? So I share stories with them about my own personal life. The business is one of them, right? They see the ups and downs. I explain to them that failure is a high probability, but I got to do what I got to do because I'm passionate about it. I share, I share leadership stories with them. They read resources. They even read some of you guys' posts. I actually share posts of your kids um, doing some of this stuff to motivate my kids. So I lead by example, and I take a keen interest in what they're doing because the bottom line is leadership. If leadership doesn't care about it, in this case, the parent, if you don't care about the details, why should they care about the details, Right. But that's my personality. Maybe maybe that's not for everybody. And there's definitely no judgment there. And finally, I'm aware of those other uh, motivating factors that are potentially risky. The fear and their desire to please me, which will then, as they become an adult, uh, could relate to them. I mean, could translate into them trying to please everyone, which we know <laughs> that is a losing uh, strategy, trying to please everybody. So I'm aware of that. And I'm, I'm constantly thinking about ways of mitigating that risk. While, yeah, quite frankly, you do use it. I mean, when my son is eight, I don't have to negotiate with him about what is he going to do. He just does it because he wants to please dad. So I do use that, but I try to use that in a positive way that's not negative. I think Tom Byer talked about that a lot in his book. All right, guys, I know I rambled on, um, but I wanted to get this one out there. I added this at the end, so I hope it kind of works together. And remember to check out anytime-soccer.com and learn more about what we do, and let's get better together.